welcome to Disney Parks and Beyond, a Disney podcast about theme parks and all things Disney from the After Dark Podcast Network. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today. He is Britain's top journalist, one of our finest broadcasters and podcasters, and has made coining cool again. It's a man who should be a sir. It's Sam Delaney. You're right about that. I should be a sir, shouldn't I? But at the same time, because I don't really believe in the monarchy, I'd probably turn it down. Well, do a, do a bit of John Lennon, you mean? Yeah, I'd turn it down, but I would be sure to let everyone know that I'd been offered it. Excellent. That's the main thing. As long yeah. as people know that you've turned exactly. it down. Yeah. The recognition is important. Absolutely. Um, now, the reason I've asked you to come on the, the podcast today is because I am, and actually a lot of the team, are avid listeners of Top Flight Time Machine. Oh, brilliant. It's a podcast that, we, even though the podcasts we generally do are around theme parks, it's a podcast we mention a lot, we reference a lot, and we always recommend people to listen to. Mm. Um and so there's not really been any kind of real need to have a crossover as such. However, this week on the show, um, you mentioned, you were talking a lot about uh, Disney Plus and Snow White in particular, which we'll come to a bit later on. Mm. And actually, you're ju- you've just launched a kind of special series of episodes about Snow White. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're doing a deep dive into Snow White. Um, so... For, for those listeners that may not, I, mean, I don't know who isn't listening to Top Flight Time Machine, but for, for those people that haven't, can you just try and give our listeners a bit of an idea of what Top Flight Time Machine is? Well, it's, um, we started it out, myself and Andy Dawson, who is an old sort of friend and colleague. Um, funny enough, he had a, the story of it is, is that he was doing the, much more successful podcast, Athletico Minutes with Bob Mortimer. And they'd started that to be about football. They wanted it to be funny, but they wanted it to be a funny football podcast. And after about a year of doing it, it was successful and he loved it. But he said, actually, it's not anything to do with football. So there's still room in my life for a football, a funny football one. So why don't you do it with me and we'll do it separate to Mints. And this one, there'll be more focus on football and nostalgia because he and I had been developing a TV idea for a period through my company, which we were going to call Big Match Time Machine because we'd found out that ITV still owned all these old, every old episode of Big Match from 70s and 80s, but they had nothing to do with it. You know, they, they had this content lying around, which was pure gold, but they never showed it. So me and Andy sort of came up with an idea of just like, football fans, including me and him and Bob Mortimer and other people who we knew, basically sitting around Gogglebox style and watching old episodes from the 70s and 80s and being nostalgic about it, right? So we got down the road a little bit with ITV. It didn't end up materialising for various reasons. So Andy said to me, let's do it as a podcast and call it Top Flight Time Machine because we can't use the term Premier League or Big Match because they're their license so we'll call it top flight time machine and we'll just go through every season of the premier league look back and be nostalgic each week a different season so i said all right that sounds like fun we started doing it that was about two years ago and i would say within about three months we had completely gone off on a load of tangents we'd quickly sort of become more interested in mucking around and talking about our own lives and stuff that happened to us when we were kids and just general bollocks yeah sorry i don't know if i can swear but you can. uh uh we we'd we got so into talking about that stuff that football fell by the wayside so now i would say it's probably about five percent football 95 percent other nonsense um so andy's back to square one he's got another podcast that's supposed to be about football and it's about loads of other nonsense so he'll probably have another go with someone else at some point <laughs> well I mean, I loved those original episodes of Top Flight Time Machine, I won't lie, but there did seem to be a point, I think it might have been around the time we did the World Cup episodes, which were yeah. all brilliant as well, 
but where you could see that kind of drift off. I think it was up in the last, uh, I don't want to say proper top flight time machine, but the one that was <laughs> most um, in keeping with the original concept, I think about three quarters of it were about um, something that happened in your school with someone getting stuck on a fence. That I think was that me. Was the I got stuck on the oh, fence. Of course it was. Mm. Yeah. I got and, stuck on top of a fence, yeah. And to be honest, I'd, and I'd forgotten, like, by the, by the time the episode had finished, I'd forgotten that you'd kind of almost brushed the whole season aside. Yeah. Because that, that had become the focus, that had become the entertainment of it. Um, and it is what it is. But um, a bit like myself, actually, now, because we are all currently in lockdown, mm. I'm recording many more podcasts than I probably should be. And you and Andy are doing the same thing. You're almost yeah, daily now. Yeah, do one every day at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So keep keeping the nation entertained. Well, listen, the thing is, <clears throat> talking about football is all very well, but in the end, there's everyone talks about football, so sometimes it feels hard to say anything original. Um, whereas when you start telling stories about your own life and realising that people find them entertaining, because everyone's got a funny story to tell about their own life, then the, the, the material becomes never-ending. Yeah. That you've got an infinite source and you know i'm in a space you know this podcast is about disney and we will get back onto this in a second listeners um but you know again there are so many podcasts that do it i have stopped listening to a lot of them because we were a lot of them were kind of regurgitating the same stuff in the same way mm. and i was like well what's the point in that we're all doing it our kind of angle really was we aimed more at adults a bit more sweary and a bit more critical a lot of people it's very sunshine lollipops and rainbows and we didn't want to mm. do that so i think you've got to find your hook and i think now yes you kind of like lessened the football content but in other ways it's becoming rich because of both you and andy and what you can bring from your own lives yeah oh well i'm glad you like it and thanks to everyone who listens because uh, we get a real buzz from doing it now to go back on to um, you know, why I, I first asked you here today. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you also, when you was talking about this, and the, the bit that really piqued my interest was um, you you claimed you were a bit of a Disney expert. So I wanted to kind of do a bit more of a deep dive, if you wouldn't mind, yeah. into that. So I suppose really all good stories start at the beginning. So what was your first experience with Disney? What's the thing that you can kind of remember as a kid? I remember as a kid... I've got a really early memory of a couple of aunts uh, taking me and all my cousins. I've got a big family, lots of cousins, and um, a particular group of us all grew up. But, you know, we were similar ages, and every summer we would spend a lot of it together round at one of our houses, usually around one of my aunt's houses, and she'd sort of look after us all because my mum and other people's mums were at work. And I remember her and another aunt took us all, I think, into the West End to see Snow White. They must have just been replaying. This would have been like the late 70s or early 80s. They must have just been doing a, a you know, rescreening Snow White at one of the big cinemas. Mm. So I think that might be my earliest, earliest um, memory of, of seeing anything Disney. Uh, I was probably surrounded by it all b before that because you are really from the day you, you can bloody see and hear. But, I, <laughs> I, but that's quite a vivid memory for me because I remember it being one of the first times I was taken up to a big fancy West End cinema and I was with a big group of my cousins. It just felt really exciting. It's it's really funny you say that because one thing we didn't touch on at the beginning is we're both West Ham fans, so we share a lot of the same kind of pain and trauma as each other. But yeah. my first Disney memory was seeing Snow White at the cinema. And oh. I've tried to pinpoint when it was. And I think, bear in mind when I must have been able to remember stuff and also what I remember seeing posts of at the time, I think it might have been around 85, 86. Because right. um, I was born in 83. So I, I yeah, remember so being very I'd young. Have been, yeah, I'd, I'm, a, I'm older than you. I'm eight years older than you then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they must do it. I don't know if they still do it. But like I said, I mean, listen, the thing about me and Disney is when I was growing up, I wouldn't have described myself as a big Disney fan. Yeah. I wasn't in I wasn't into Mickey Mouse or any of the movies really at all. The Jungle Book was probably the one that if someone had asked me, I would have said was the one that I liked. 
But it all happened for me as it does for many people when I had my first child and my daughter when she was young, she's 12 now, um, went through inevitably a big Disney princess um, phase mm. uh, that lasted from about, I don't know, like I think she must have started watching Snow White when she was about two. And it lasted till she was about six or seven. And still now she's got a fondness and affection for it. So, you know, sometimes for nostalgia's sake, we'll go, let's let's watch. Like the other night we watched um, Pocahontas, the whole family. Yep. Anyway, but back in those days, we watched, she was, obs- she would get obsessed, hooked on one particular Disney princess. And then we would watch it like daily for sometimes like six months. And then we'd change. And I think the first one she was ever hooked on appropriately because it was the first Disney princess was Snow White. And mm. I watched Snow White so much that there was a period where I could kind of recite it almost verbatim. And I enjoyed doing that and still do because I think it is one of the funniest films of all time. I don't, I don't mean that it's funny in an ironic way. I think it's, I mean, there are some things that you laugh in ironically, but on the whole, it is genuinely brilliantly written. It is hilarious. It is weird. And it is insane. Like, obviously, all Disney stories are pretty insane, but this one, it's so mad. Everything, everything that happens is so mad. And the character of the wicked stepmother, the evil queen, is, is one of the best baddies of all, I, I think two of the best baddies ever created are Maleficent and the wicked queen. In, in Snow White uh, because they're both so mad. It's just pure rage that seems completely disproportionate to the things that are bothering them. Like, so they both, you know, there's, there's small issues that could irritate the best of us in life. Um, you know, the, the, the wicked, the wicked queen, she's, you know, she's, I don't know, she's riddled with insecurity and um, she's obsessed with her looks. And we know there's people, out there who suffer from vanity and they that manifests itself as rage and resentment and and envy and all of those other toxic emotions um and we know that exists in lots of people but with her she is literally willing to have a child killed over it she wants to have a child the daughter of her husband murdered by a huntsman because she thinks a mirror told her that she was a bit prettier than her. And that as a starting point, which they established within the first scene of the movie, which I love as well, because it's one of those movies that straight away, you're right into the action. There's no preamble. It no. tells you straight away. There was this batshit queen, right? She is riddled with a raging um, narcissism. And she has a magic mirror. And I, And by the way, do we know whether that mirror is magic or is it in the mind of the queen? Because she is clearly severely mentally ill, right? And so I think there's every chance that there is no magic mirror. This is something that exists in the mind of the... The mirror is almost like, I don't know, maybe it's a metaphor. But, you know, the, the, the queen is like, right from the first scene, the mirror says like, you are very beautiful, but alas, there is one fairer than thee. And she immediately reacts by, she sort of does this mad aggressive motion with her fist and she just says, alas for her, reveal their name, right? Alas for her. She says that before she even knows who the person is. As soon as she gets a hint of the fact that there's someone who this mirror regards as slightly more attractive than her, she is straight away, her thoughts turn to violence. Now, that is pretty insane, isn't it? I, I mean, that that is incredible. And I, I'm assuming this is the kind of content people are going to hear on your deep dive. But I mean, th- the fact that you said about the mirror being a metaphor. Now, again, first Disney film I, I ever saw, one that I've rewatched quite a few times as well. Never once did I sit there and watch it and go, I wonder if this is actually real or this is, you know, a, a maddening of her mind. And mm. and just then you have completely, just by you saying it to me now, you completely changed how I'm next going to view that film. Well, I mean, that's a reflection on your own level of sanity. I don't know what, I mean, yeah, I don't know you well enough to comment on your own mental health, but I would say that if you're watching a film that is about a mad woman, 
Because that's who the film's really about. It's not about Snow White or the dwarves or the princess. It's about the queen. And the protagonist is off her rocker. Absolutely crazy, right? And she's hearing a voice every time she looks in the mirror. And that voice is commenting on her looks. And she's seeing a face in that mirror as well, sort of a haunting face. And you, rather than think, well, she's clearly insane, imagine it, you think, no, fair dues. I reckon that is a legit magic mirror. I think I'm. I think that's fair. I think the, the mirror is talking to her. That's your conclusion. That's the mad conclusion. Yeah. The same conclusion is she's a lunatic and she's hearing voices. It's one of the most common things that happens when you have like a severe, psych- a severe psychotic disorder, isn't it? You start hearing voices. Yes. So. Wow. Um, I I went to a Halloween event um, last year, and they had a Halloween party because of the time of year that it, it was it was um, occurring, and um, because it's a Halloween event, they get a lot of the villains out to do character meet and greets and everything like that, and one of them was the Evil Queen. Yeah, and I've 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 been to Disney parts for you know since Disneyland Paris opened, so long long time. And that is one of the most intense meet and greets I ever had. <laughs> just, and, and I mean, she, I mean, obviously she's she's playing a role and everything like that. But just the costume, the look, the sternness, yeah, it was intimidating when she like kind of carried you over. Yeah, yeah, it's really. I'll, I'll have to uh, post a picture. Um, it's a challenging role because I mean, um, my experience of dis- I mean, I've been to Euro Disney once. That's it. But uh, I met. I met Cinderella and uh, I met Sleeping Beauty. I think that was it. And, that, you know, but I felt that they were quite easy because they just had to smile and be friendly. But I think if you're the queen, then that is challenging. To rise to the challenger. I don't know who played, who was the voice actor of the queen in the original movie, but Jesus Christ, it's quite a role to take on. Yeah, no, in right. real time without because uh, you don't really have a script to work. I mean, I don't know as much as you do about the theme parks and then what goes down amongst the cast there, but you don't have a script, do you? Because you have to react to whatever people say to you. Absolutely. So you you have a you have, and again, I've I've never done this job, so I can only kind of speak about what I've seen and you know people other people's experiences. But you will have some lines, you will have some phrases that you're kind of expected to say or. You, you expect that somebody might say something about a dwarf or something, so you know how to react to it. But a lot of it is a bit like improv, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, improv, but you are still playing a character, but you can kind of cross those lines a, a little bit. So you've got to be good at what you do. And, and I've also experienced sometimes with people playing characters, especially if it's not necessarily the one they're normally aligned to, um, that doesn't do a very good job. Yeah, because of it, yeah. so you've got to be quite good. Um, now you mentioned Disneyland Paris, and one of the questions I was going to ask you was, um, it, it's more to kind of um, squash a rumor, really, which is, is it true that the idea for the Channel Tunnel was stolen from someone who noticed a hole you were digging? Well, I do. I don't know whether they noticed the hole, but I can tell you that me and my mate Darren, who was my neighbour in the 80s, who was my digging partner, we were talking about a tunnel to Disneyland long before I ever heard anyone in a position of government or authority talk about it. So, I mean, I don't know what what the truth is about that, but what I do know is that the first person I ever heard discuss the idea of a tunnel directly from the UK to Disneyland was me, me and, and Darren from next door. Um, to be fair, we never thought, we never dreamt of digging one to France and building Disneyland there. In, in many ways, we were thinking bigger than that because we were proposing not building a new theme park. We were just proposing building a tunnel direct from West London um, all the way to Florida. That, uh, to the existing Disneyland, or is that Disney World? Which is which? Disney World is Florida. Disneyland right. is uh, California. Yeah, so I think Disney World was what we had our eyes on. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll, maybe we'll never know if that idea was stolen from us. Um, maybe someone did walk past 
because we used to dig out the front of our house on the little bit of sort of wasteland opposite our house and maybe someone a lot of commuters used to walk past on their way home from work when we were digging early evening and it might have been that one of them walked past and just overheard our plans and thought I'm having that I'm going to pitch that tomorrow to Mrs Thatcher well I mean, I, I don't know if this is going to go anywhere, obviously, but we do have a very large, for a British podcast, we have a very large uh, listenership in America. Mm. And you know that that means there's going to be a lot of lawyers listening. And, you know, I wanted to highlight this story uh, publicly um, on this forum, just in case somebody might hear it who thinks you've got a case. Yeah, well, I'm all ears. Um, I'm always interested in in hearing from uh, lawyers who might potentially represent me for free or discount prices. And that is a case that I'd be really willing to take on. I don't know exactly who I'd be taking on. I guess whoever the people behind the Channel Tunnel were, which I think were the two governments, weren't they? The French and British government, plus whatever private contractors were involved in that. I don't know. I'll have to do some, some digging, so to speak. Metaphorical digging, yeah. digging rather than, yeah, yeah, yeah. Legal digging. Legal digging, or you can mm. probably, well, I don't know, would you go to your brother for that? It's probably not wise, is it? No, he's, I don't think he's, I don't know how his studies are going uh, in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak, but um, plus it's always about, because he's studying with the Open University, my brother, to be a lawyer, and right. it depends, and it takes a long time, and it depends what modules he's done. So sometimes I'll go, oh, can you give me some advice on, I don't know, intellectual property rights, and he'll say, Oh, I haven't done that module yet, but I do know loads about uh, property rights. Will that help? And I'll go, no, I need someone <laughs> with a breadth of knowledge. It's all the same, isn't it? Well, <laughs> don't know. So you mentioned you've been to Disneyland Paris once. Um, was that with your children or was it with your um, before your son was born? I, I went. I went with my. Uh, it was. It was when my daughter was very young. My son wasn't born yet, and I. I went with my daughter, my wife, and I took uh, two of my nieces, who were quite young at the time. And yeah, I. I, I mean, it was a blag really because I was working at Heat Magazine, and and Euro Disney just called up and said, "Do you want to go to Euro Disney?" I used to get <laughs> stuff like that. And I wasn't quite sure what the uh, reciprocal uh, relationship they had in mind was because they never really asked for anything. They just said, do you fancy it? And I said, yeah, can I take my nieces as well? And they said, yeah. So we got on the train, went over there and spent a couple of nights in the hotel on site and uh, really enjoyed ourselves. And it was a great offer. At that particular time, it was when my daughter was about two and she was really like, her passion for Disney princesses were was really peaking. So it was great. It was it was a great, it was a perfect treat to come home to and, and tell her about. Oh, that, that I bet she loved it as well. Yeah, we had a fantastic time. Would you would you go back? I mean, it's, you said she's 12 now, so that was around 10 years ago. Um, you know, is that something you would think of going back to now. Um, well, my son, my son's never been, and he resents that because occasionally <laughs> we talk about the fact that we've, that we went before he was born and uh, he holds that against us. Uh, so that is one incentive to go also. And, you know, I don't know, this is probably a bad place to admit to this because it, it's quite a bad thing to, to admit, I, I suppose. But last year, uh, no, the year before last, we went on a family road trip me and my wife and our two kids to California and we drove across California. And when we were in on the Los Angeles leg of the tour, we obviously were going to go to a theme park, but we were running out of time. I think we had just two full days in LA on route to somewhere else. And, uh, we spent one of those days shopping and going to cinema and whatnot. And then we had one day left and we thought, well, we can only really go to one theme park. Plus, I mean, it could cripple you financially if you went to more than one. Mm. And so we had a choice and we went to Universal, I'm afraid to admit. Wow. But all I would say is, is that we were in the middle of LA and so is Universal. You know, it's like up the road. And so it was, the decision was made on that basis alone, really, is that we, we, we could only really afford the time and the money to go to one. And last minute we decided to go there because it was a 10 minute drive away. Whereas of course, as you know, Disneyland is more, it's sort of a drive out of town really, isn't it? It, it so. really throws people out 
because um, you know a lot of Brits go to Florida if they're going to go and do the, the whole Disney thing. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, your co-host uh, Andy Dawson has has done that himself. Yeah, but Universal and Walt Disney World are about yeah. a fifteen-minute drive from each other. It's all yeah. in this kind of almost like enclosing, like yeah, of, a theme uh, park uh, compound. Absolutely, it's a compound. Um, so you've got that there. Whilst I know in LA um, that everything is so far apart and like hours apart, and I think it's in push- Anaheim, isn't it? Disneyland yes. in in LA, and so that's not really you're not really in LA. It's like I guess it's like driving out of London to like Hertfordshire or something like that. Uh, probably further than that, actually. But yeah, yeah, maybe further than that. So. So that was that was what made our decision, but it was a controversial decision, and the kids weren't happy because although Universal's a great place, I think you know it doesn't have the same ring to it when you go back and tell your mates in the playground, "Oh, what did you do? Did you go to Disneyland?" And they go, "No, but we went to Universal," and then mates would be like, mm, "Not Disneyland, is it?" So I felt a bit bad about that. So. Yes, I guess the answer is we will. I would like to say definitely, but I have a, I don't know, but I've got a definite intention to go to one of those places. Whether it will be Paris, Florida or California, I don't know. I'd like to think it was California, to be honest. Do you know what? I was just saying to my wife last night, and again, this probably isn't the best thing to say on a, on a Disney sort of fan <laughs> podcast, but we're watching that Netflix program, Tiger King. I don't know if you've oh. seen it. I actually tweeted you and Andy, I think Sunday, yeah. to say you guys need to do a deep dive on this. Oh yeah, well maybe it was, like you were maybe talking it was about you it. who triggered me to watch it because <laughs> I said to my missus, we've got to watch this thing, Tiger King, everyone's going on about it. Well, I mean, obviously, it is absolutely mind-blowing. I binged uh, it in one night. You finished it in one night? How many episodes is it? Seven. Oh! <laughs> right? I, I, started, I started watching it. I watched the first two episodes. I thought, I'll, just, I'll give the first episode a watch. Then I watched the second one and I had a podcast recalled. Um, we we watched the live action Lady and the Tramp for a podcast. Oh, yeah. oh, so yeah. me and um, my friend Craig, uh, we talked about that. Finished the podcast, didn't bother editing it, went straight back to watch Tiger King um, because they're, all the episodes are just under an hour. So I justified it that it's not seven hours, it's about six so I'll, I'll just finish it off tonight. But I, I couldn't stop watching it. No, that's why. Exactly. No, I, that's why I felt like that last night. My missus wanted to go to bed, but I was like, we did one, we did episode two, then we got stuck into episode three. And in the end, like, I think, you know, she was like, we got, and, but she's like that. She, she doesn't like binging. Like if you get really in something, she likes what she calls delayed gratification. So it's like, <laughs> stop watching now. Cause then we've got something to look forward to all day tomorrow, which is, and funny enough, also, this is Disney related. The, that, that's like after kids have gone to bed, you stick on Tiger King, right? But before that, when the kids are still up, as a family, The Mandalorian, which oh. we, I mean, Disney Plus only, I mean, I know lots of people have seen it already, but for me, I've only just got Disney Plus this week and it absolutely, we only watched episode one last night. That's knockout. So, I don't know, man. This virus situation keeps on giving and giving. I've got, I think so. I've got the bloody Mandalorian followed by Tiger King. I mean, this is bloody dreamland, isn't it? Everyone talks about the hardships of being in lockdown, and there are many disadvantages as well. Mm. However, we live in a. I said to my wife last night, actually, I said to her, Can you imagine if we had this situation? when we were the age of our kids, my kids are seven and six, right? I said, there was no Wi-Fi. There was no, um, not really much in the way of consoles. Uh, there was no streaming. Mm. You know, you you had like four channels. Yeah. You know, none of this stuff. I mean, you talked, to, just to kind of go back, you talked about Snow White and cinema like I did. Now, at that time, the only way you could watch Disney films at that time in particular was when they re-released them every few years at the cinema or bank holiday Mondays when they would normally show one on telly. That was it for Disney. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't yeah. even buy them on video. Well, I mean, in a way, in I mean, in almost always, it's amazing and we're so privileged. And, you know, I tried to tell my kids about how incredibly privileged all of this is, but it's impossible to explain because they've got no context, right? Yeah. But in another way, it's not because people have made this point about music and it's the same with films and TV. 
that sort of the, the specialness of of like you know like with an album getting saving your money going to our price buying a record you, is one of the only records you own or cassettes and so you listen to it over and over and over again and you fall in love with it and you do a deep dive into it and you know every last note on it and that used to be the same with tv shows and films it was so special mm. now the fact that every single piece of entertainment ever made is at your fingertips at all time makes you extremely blasé like the amount of times i might put on a classic film because i'm bored and sort of only half watch it uh, you know i'll have that something a masterpiece like the godfather or rocky three on in front of me and i've got half an eye on it and with the other hand i'm scrolling through my phone looking at twitter or some other nonsense and so we've become spoiled mm-hmm. but i suppose at, at this t- point in our history i think we're all appreciating it a lot more my, my brother sent to i'm constantly on whatsapp at the moment uh as we all are because he's suddenly in loads of different groups and it's nice because you're suddenly in communication so much more with so many people you care about and like yep. you know and so i'm on one with, with with my three brothers and one of them sent a picture i don't know where how he'd got it people have suddenly got time on their hands to do all sorts of weird stuff <laughs> he got an aerial shot of the estate that we used to live on in brentford in west london which is not it's the same estate where we grew up. It's the same estate where people just do nothing is set. It's that exact estate. Oh, really? Yeah, the whole thing is filmed <laughs> on that estate. And that's where we grew up, right? So it's really weird for us watching it. And he'd got an aerial shot of that and picked out the house we lived in and did an, a red arrow on it. I mean, this is the amount of time he's got on his hands at the moment, right? And just sent it to us and went, well, it could be worse. Right, we could be we could be stuck there still, <laughs> and we've all yeah. I mean, bloody hell, we've all got like you know at least we've all got back gardens to sit in. And but I think more than that, it wasn't just the actual geographic location; it was the point in time. You're thinking that would have been hell. Forget about getting a bloody Ocado delivery back in the late seventies and early eighties. Much less Netflix. Do you remember what Sunday TV was like? It was absolutely appalling. Bloody songs of praise nonstop, wasn't it? Bullseye. Um, was it? Was it Highway? Was that the? Was that? Yeah. The was that one with Harry Seacombe in it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Harry Seacombe on a sort of a, a a god road trip. Yeah. Yeah. And the only good thing is you got Spitting Image and then the South Bank show right at the end. Yeah, but that if was you it. ever hear the Spitting Image or South Bank show theme tunes now, doesn't it make you feel sort of weirdly mournful? If because I hear the South Bank show theme tune now, I think. Am I fuck. supposed to be going to bed? You think, fuck, I've got maths in the morning. I haven't done, I haven't done any homework. What the fuck have I done with my weekend? <laughs> I'm going to go in and I'm going to get done over for no homework yet again. And yet I've done nothing productive all weekend. <laughs> I watch that, that hour I spent watching Highway earlier. I could have been knocking out my homework. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And instead I was watching Harry Seacon talk about how wonderful she Talk are. about God. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, but you, you, we went off on a, and I mean, I think we're probably the worst people to have on a podcast together because I am famous for going off on tangents mm. on, on my show. You obviously do on yours. We've both done it here. But I think you were telling me why you wanted to go back to, you want to go to Disneyland rather than go to Florida around the Tiger King. Yeah, Tiger King. We were looking at it and um, anyone who's watched Tiger King will know that a lot of it's set in Florida around a guy called Joe Exotic who's got a uh, big sort of big cat compound there. Call it a zoo or whatever, but it's a, it's a weird place with it's loads a of t- tigers yeah. and other animals. And it's just mad. And and my wife said, Do you know what? I've thought for a long time I don't really fancy going to Florida ever. And she went, <laughs> and this is just strengthening that, which is an awful prejudiced thing to say. And massive, I mean, it is awful actually because it's like someone – it's like the sort of idiots who see something going on like a, t- a terror attack in London and you get like moronic Americans going, oh, don't go to London. It's full of terrorists. So yep. I suppose we're just doing the same thing in reverse. But there is that whole trope, isn't there, that can't be good for the Florida tourist board of Florida man. Like, it's, you know, how, how every bad news story begins with the words Florida, Florida man. man. Yeah. yeah. I mean... It's very weird. Like Orlando is a little bit like Vegas in one way, in that it's almost like in its own bubble. So, like yeah. Orlando is all the theme parks and everything like that, and 
a few hours away, you've got um, like Clearwater Beach, and the other way, you've got Kendi Space Center and Cocoa Beach. Mm. But once you kind of get out certain areas, it gets very weird. Like I once, um, I found out the last time uh, me and my my wife went, um, there was supposedly the world's biggest comic book shop in Orlando, and mm. I thought. Oh, well, let's, you know, that must be quite fun to go to. So we had to drive through downtown Orlando. And it's really weird because you kind of go through Orlando and it's all like sunny and everything's bouncing and, you know, everything, everything's jolly. And you start getting to downtown um, Orlando and it's like Robocop. It's really, really bizarre how it changes. So there are pockets. And then obviously with Florida, you've got things like the Everglades. And that's kind of, when you start going around those parts, that's kind of where you're stepping into, you know, Tiger King. Uh, Florida man does yeah. territory. So. I mean, I was like, I was, I was uh, talking about the Everglades. Is that because that reminds me of Gentle Ben, right? That was where Gentle <laughs> Ben was set, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, he was yeah, always it was. on those awesome. What are those the, boats? The fan that, boats. Yeah, the fan boats. <laughs> so that's what I always think of. And like years ago, when I was quite young, I was a, I was a young journalist, and my cousin, I've got a cousin who he's British, but he lives in he lives in New York, and he was getting married, and he's stag was going to be in Miami and he invited me along and my brothers along and um I thought I can't really justify the cost I was pretty young I was working but I didn't have a, a huge amount of disposable income to just go off to Miami for a week at a mm. nice hotel and everything so then I thought I know what I'll do I'll blag it because as a young journalist one of the first big skills you learn is how to blag things um and dress it up as work well. So I got in touch with a magazine called, which was going at the time, called something like Stag and Groom. And I went, do you fancy a story about um, doing a stag in Miami? And the editor got back and said, yeah, I would like you to write this and I think we can arrange it. But I, I think Miami's kind of been done to death. So what I'd rather do is a Florida road trip. So basically I said, yeah, because I thought I'm going to get at the very least free flights out of this, right? Yeah. But then the trip kept kept getting more and more. And I literally, what I really wanted was for her to agree to cover the cost of me flying into Miami, getting pissed for a couple of days on the beach, going out to some discos and then flying back again, right? Right. And suddenly I'd basically bitten off more than I can chew because she sent me an itinerary and a huge amount of it involves me going to the fucking Everglades and bowling around on one of those gentle Ben uh, bloody boats, right? With alligators and stuff. And I, that is not a scene for me. I thought I'm exactly the sort of idiot who's going to end up dead eaten by a crocodile there. And it was all going to be on my own as well. There was not even a photographer coming with me. They wanted me to take the picture. It was pretty low budget magazine. I bottled it. I mean, I look back now and think, what did you bottle that for? It would have been a great experience. It would have been. I was a bit entitled. I was a bit like, I don't want to do a road trip. I had to fly into Tampa and fly and drive all across this enormous state and then only end up in Miami for the last day. I'm not doing that. And and as you said, you were young, you know, it was probably pretty intimidating to be doing some of the stuff you was being instructed to do. So I was, yeah, I was intimidated. Well, all I can kind of recommend, uh, now you've got Disney Plus as well, with that kind of thing, is uh, the Imagineering story is really good. Right. Um, and that talks about how the, the, the group of people that kind of make the rise of attractions, they're called Imagineers, and they design all the theme parks. And it's quite a fascinating look at how much detail there is that you probably haven't noticed when they design all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of that is focused on Disneyland. And, right. Um, we have a group chat with the the, the other co-presenters uh, today, and we was all talking about the fact that it makes you want to go to Disneyland more than ever compared oh. to any other park. Because and that's it, on Disney magic. Plus, is it? I can watch yes. that. I'll watch yep. that with the kids. Oh, God. It's on it, a, might be, it might be a good thing to cheer us up when we're yeah. thinking about all the stuff we can do once this lockdown's over. And The Mandalorian, like you said, you're already watching it. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I managed to watch the whole lot a few months ago. And actually, the last time I went to the cinema... Uh, before they shut down, they were showing the first episode of The Mandalorian on the big oh, screen. Oh, wow. And I'd already seen it, but seeing it again on the big screen, it just shows how that that could have been a film in itself. That that series oh, could It's so been... well written, isn't it? I mean, just oh. episode one, the writing is like a really tight 70s or 60s Western. That's yeah. how it's written. It's like every scene, there's not a wasted moment or wasted line of dialogue. It's everything that classic Star Wars was about and that it's action-packed, it's thrilling, but it's also funny and there's yep. warmth and emotion in it. 
really it had a huge amount of what a lot of the films of recent times have lacked. Um, yeah, and I've, I know you like those. I like those. Yeah. Um, I know you and Andy talks uh, just around Christmas, actually, when uh, The Rise of Skywalker come out. And I like you, you guys. I enjoyed it. I know a lot of people didn't. But I, I enjoyed it even though I could see its flaws. But yeah, same, this yeah. is This is the closest I think we've got to the original Star Wars, like since the original Star Wars finished back in the, like the early 80s. Absolutely. Funnily enough, for anyone, I mean, this might be lost on people who don't listen to Top Flight Time Machine, but... Uh, someone who I mention a lot from my childhood and who's still sort of, you know, on the peripheries of, of life here is uh, Pancho from the Flats. <laughs> and Pancho from the Flats is a, is a bloke who lived in the flats in my road when we moved up the road to Hammersmith when we were younger. And he uh, is a Bolivian man and he's got, he, he's, he's had a lot of problems in his life and he lives alone. And, um, He's had a lot of uh, mental health issues over the years. And so we're all on lockdown. And obviously, you're catching up with the people who you care most about, mainly Mm. older people, aren't you? And you're dropping texts to older people, parents, grandparents, and whoever to say, you're all right, do you need anything? Just give me a shout. And then suddenly it occurred to me this morning, I haven't contacted Pancho from the flats, and I'm really not sure uh how well he's going to be handling this situation because he's mm. a guy who's never even been online on the internet right what doesn't own a computer doesn't own a smartphone he's never been online don't, didn't even know if he owns a telly um lives a peculiar sort of lifestyle and i thought to myself i'm really concerned that pancho from the flats i was texting my brothers going has anyone heard from pancho because will he have enough supplies is he aware is he even aware that this crisis is going on? Because the the life he leads is one, it's almost like one of a stray man. Like he's got a home, but he's not in contact with with people or things. I know he's not, but he's almost the original stray man. He is in a way, yeah. Because like, he won't know, like, you know, the other week he was calling me out, asking me to, help him source a Game Boy because he'd found some old Game Boy games which he claims I gave him but I mean the last time I added I mean these were Game Boy games for the original Game Boy like in 1990 (laughs) but he had no idea that anything had moved on since then and when I showed him like uh, the new equivalent of a Game Boy he was deeply suspicious it was like talking to Cat Weasel and he was like no 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 I want the original one so I had to go on he didn't have the internet he went to Hamley's to try and find one and they basically threw him out of the shop and I, anyway, I, this, this, I'm, I'm trying to reflect the fact that he is totally tuned out of normal day-to-day society. He still thinks that it's t- the other day he sang a football song and he was singing, thank you very much for the two points, Chelsea, right? Because he reckons he's a QPR fan. Thank you very much for the two points, Chelsea. Thank you very much. I said, Panch, that is such an old song. He went, no, it's not. Everyone still sings it at QPR. I said, it's so old. I said the reference is two points. They got rid of two points for a win in about 1985, you dickhead, right? That's how out of touch Pancho is, right? So I thought I better give him a buzz to check he's all right. So I called him up this morning and he went, all right, mate. And I said, how's it going? I said, you know about what's going on? He said, what do you mean? And I said, are you staying in? You know about the virus? Yeah, I know about that. Are you staying in? Yeah. Are you washing your hands? Yeah. I said, are you, listen, have you got enough food and water? I went, of course I have. I went, well, where are you getting it from? He went, the off-license, mate. It's open till 10 o'clock every day. And I started to think, Jesus Christ, I think Pancho might have this situation under better control than I have. I was calling up all patronising, like, do you need anything, mate? And he's like, I've got everything I need here. I've got, and he goes, I've got my Game Boy working. I've got everything from the off-license. I go out there every day to get what I need, right? And because uh, I think I don't mean he's a big drinker. I think he like literally lives off off license food, which let's be yeah. honest, sounds great. Just like yeah. crisps and chocolate. That's it. And and uh, and anyway, the point of this story, there is a point to it. In the end, he was shutting me down in a patronising way. Like anyway, mate, it's really good to hear you hear from you. Uh, but I've got to wrap it up now. It's only I'm in the middle of watching Star Wars, the first one, and I've just got to the bit where Obi Wan cuts that geezer's arm off in the cantina. He went which is the best bit. And I went, you're right, mate. It is the best bit. He goes, yes, I'm sure you'll understand. I've got to go. Bye. 
And I thought, I've been mugged off by Pancho from the flats. But to be fair, he shut me down for good reason because the bit where he chops his arm off in the cantina is probably the best bit in Star Wars, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a fantastic scene. And I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast where I'd hear a story about Pancho from the flats. Um, yeah. I hope he's paid your mum back that tenner. Oh, um, yes, yeah, yeah. He, he posted it. He posted the cash through the letterbox at three in the morning and then went home to his house five minutes around the corner and started calling my mum's house to make sure that they'd found it. This is at three o'clock in the morning. Of course, there's no better time to check your phone box. This is what you're dealing with with Pancho <laughs> from the flats. Um, again, um, <laughs> to hear more stories like that, top flight time machine there have been some absolute gems uh, over the years um so i'm going to wrap up in just a second but there was a question from uh, craig who originally got me onto top flight time machine weirdly enough i knew who you were and i knew you from news thing wow. but i didn't re i didn't find the podcast until about two or three episodes in and then Craig was like, are you listening to this yet you've got to listen to it um and he couldn't be here today but he wanted me to, he wanted to me to ask you a question right. um and he's asked um and, and going back onto the the main topic of uh, you know the world we're living in right now uh coronavirus mm. is this a millwall ploy to get west ham relegated no i think it can't be obviously there's been a lot of chat on my west ham whatsapp groups about millwall's involvement in coronavirus and in the first couple of weeks people were very like yeah this is a millwall thing but we've now Obviously, comes to the conclusion it can't be Millwall because, if anything, this saves West Ham from relegation. We're not in a relegation position right now. So, if the season was declared null and void, we survive, Mm. right? And if the season carries on at some point, well, that's probably an advantage too because things were going badly for us. So, the break, if anything, will be an advantage. So, as much as I was tempted to pin this all on Millwall, I think, no. It can't be Millwall, unless it's their most elaborate ruse yet and there's still a few twists in the tail that we haven't foreseen. But I feel pretty confident that Millwall's, Millwall aren't involved in this. And the final question, and this was kind of a joint effort between me and him actually, mm. was in this again, in this environment, um, what should we be doing about going on the coins? Well, um, you can't go on the coins. Uh, the the uh, international board of coiners have declared it. They said the coining season is probably delayed, possibly cancelled. Of course, you you know that doesn't start officially till June anyway. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, so in the meantime, you can't you can't be going out coining even if you wanted to. Uh, there's there's no coining facilities open. I wouldn't even advise in the current climate doing any home coining. I know a lot of people have their own coining, rig coining set up with a table and some change because, you know, even touching coins is not the safest thing to be doing right now. I mean, it's like my mum used to say if she caught me putting coins in my mouth when I was a kid, which for some reason I had a tendency to do. No idea why, but I used to sometimes put coins in my mouth. And my mum would say out, take them out they could have been up a tramp's arsehole for all you know <laughs> and that was how that was a way of discouraging me and it was very effective and so if you think of it in that context yeah they could have been up a tramp's arsehole but even if they've just been in the hands of someone who's not a tramp just a carrier of of coronavirus i would say stay away from the coins but what you can do is something that Andy Dawson talked about in our film on the coins i don't know if you've seen it but we made a documentary about Um, being on the coins Mm. and Andy explained in the film about how when he was a lad his parents wouldn't take him coining because um, they could see it could be a day it it could become a dangerous addiction so they never took him to out coining so what he used to do was he used to coin in his mind and he that's basically how he taught himself to coin just in his mind he didn't physically do it for years until he was like a young adult but he'd done so much mind coining that he basically was an expert by the time he actually did real coining, he, he could do it. So I would I would encourage that. Mind coining's the best thing. That's that's the Dawson way. I'd never realised Danny Dawson was essentially the rain man of coining. Yeah, it sort of is like that. It's like when Rain Man goes to Vegas and counts cards. It was kind of like that, yeah. 
I mean, I mean, the other thing as well, uh, especially with us being um, trying to keep distance from people as well, is you've also got, of course, Tipping Point, mm. the uh, Ben Shepherd, Ben Shepherd, fellow West Ham fan, fellow West Ham fan. Um, he, he's coining game show, mm. um, and I'm not sure what he, they do have. To, I asked this question on the podcast a few weeks ago. Actually, they do have these machines in America, which I never realised. Um, but they're normally found at airports and stuff like that. They're not yeah. as common places in the UK, but they are out there. So they're the the coin shoving machines. It's not, yeah, it's not, it's not like a seaside pursuit. I mean, real coining needs to be done within, you know, a matter of a uh, hundred yards of the sea. Yeah. If if not, it doesn't really count. I don't think. If you can't smell the sea, you're not coining. You're not coining. Not really. Um, Sam. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, if you just want to take a, a few seconds to uh, you know, plug your own projects, um, please do so. Well, you can listen to Top Flight Time Machine, uh, which you can get in all the usual podcast places. Um, so, yeah, I mean, other than that, I do a West Ham podcast called You Irons, which is for the people at The Athletic, uh, which if you're a West Ham fan, you might want to listen to. If you're not a West Ham fan, you'll find it dull, so don't bother. <laughs> and um, and there's a couple of new podcasts in the pipeline too, so keep your eyes peeled for those. Excellent. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. It's been a massive, massive honour to me. It, it truly has it been has, an absolute It dream. has been an honour for you, that's right. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. This podcast is part of the After Dark Podcast Network.